This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. San Antonio District Judge resigns after a federal corruption probe. A former San Antonio, Texas judge goes to federal prison after pleading guilty to accepting bribes in exchange for rigging cases in his court. Angus McGinty committed the ultimate judicial sin. Why did you do it? I did it because I was foolish. Listen to How to Bribe a Judge on RevolverPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. what's up, guys? Kenny Florian. Oh, my God! Here are your hosts, John Anik and Kenny Florian. Well, I love the NBA, but I hope you were not watching basketball on Saturday night. It is episode 183 of the Anik and Florian Podcast, 10th of December, 2018. Ken Flo's back in studio. How was D.C. with Ryan Hall, kid? D.C. was awesome. Uh, it was cold. It was definitely cold, but uh, Ryan is looking sharp. I, I can't wait for him to compete against B.J. Penn, man. It's, uh, those are uh, two jiu-jitsu legends going at it. Um, who knows if it's going to go to the ground? If it does, I think we have uh, quite a treat. And if they stand up, I, I tell you what, Ryan has improved immensely since the last time we saw him in the octagon. So I'm right. excited for him. And I actually will be cornering him for that right. fight. The first time I've cornered a fighter in a very long time. So um, it, it will be interesting to be back in the octagon. No, that's exciting. I uh, I was told that this weekend. I was like, nice of Ken Flo to let me know on the podcast. That is he not <laughs> I was waiting Ryan for Hall. approval. Actually, I was yeah, waiting on okay, approval right, before right. it was 100%. That's right. Yeah. right. And I, so you're going to host the pre-fight show, and then yes. you're going to hustle down to corner <laughs> Ryan Hall, yes. which is going to be a crazy transition for you, but I think you can handle it. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because, and I'm not, not going to lead the show with this necessarily, but the, the Ryan Hall-BJ Penn matchup, a lot of people sort of are, are – Knocking BJ Penn for continuing his career at this point in time, mm-hmm. in time, some people suggesting that the UFC is giving him the Ryan Hall matchup because they think it's not someone who can shut his lights off necessarily, but it could play out as sort of a grappler's delight. But, dude, Ryan Hall can kick, man. You know, I mean, what's to stop him from kicking BJ Penn in the head, right? He, he can, and, and he's got a lot of new tricks up his sleeve, so uh, I'm excited to see those executed in the yeah. octagon. And uh, and you, you can't count out a, a guy like BJ Penn, you know. Um, I, I think he has committed to his training. He's been training exclusively down in Brazil for a very long time, training with those savages down at Novo Uniao. So I think he's going to have some new tricks up his sleeve as well. Yeah, no, it'll be exciting, and, and I'll be excited to see the embrace between Ken Flo and BJ Penn after the fact. Hopefully BJ's not too upset that his buddy Ken Flo's in the other corner. Uh, <laughs> That's right. But what a weekend it was in Toronto. We're going to recap it with Jordan Breen coming up here in about a half an hour. Ray Longo's going to be on, of course, because he corners raging ally Quinta in that Milwaukee main event coming up this weekend. But we will lead the show uh, with the Blessed Express which is just taking people out left and right. Max Holloway, man. And, you know, I know I get criticized and others do for speaking in absolutes and with too many superlatives after a performance like this. But this dude is next level, man. 13 consecutive UFC wins. Looks like a guy who very much could break Anderson Silva's record of 16 consecutive wins. Second official undisputed title defense here against Brian Ortega. Gets the TKO. Dr. Stoppage at the end of round four. 
And Ortega did have some moments in the third round. I think he did win that round 10-9, but this was all Max Blessed Holloway. And, uh, you know, people must have forgot, man, he hadn't fought in 2018. And he reminded everybody that not only is he the elite of the featherweights and maybe by a significant margin, but he's one of the best pound-for-pound fighters we have in the sport. Well, John, I I would agree with you that it is hard to talk in absolutes when you're talking about greatest of all time or greatest featherweight ever. But it's also hard to deny Max Holloway of that title because, um, listen, he has beaten Jose Aldo twice by finish. Um, And I think it's between Jose Aldo and Conor McGregor, but he has uh, competed at 145 pounds way more times in the UFC than Conor McGregor. Uh, And he has beaten uh, who a lot of people believe was the greatest featherweight of all time in Jose Aldo twice. So what Max Holloway has accomplished here in the UFC and the way that he has done it uh, is just astonishing. Um, he completely outclassed Brian Ortega. Ortega just couldn't get really anything going. I thought his best moments were in the third round where he's able to kind of throw uh, and land some Hail Mary shots. Uh, but, yeah. man, Max Holloway, the way that he pressures, his understanding of range and angles um, is just at a different level. And, uh, you know, Brian Ortega is a guy who has been undefeated. Uh, he has been uh, amazing in the UFC in, in not only his consistency, but in the way that he has finished his fights. And the fact that Max Holloway is head and shoulders above Brian Ortega just speaks right. volumes about just how good this Hawaiian is. Yeah, as we sit here in 2018, he is head and shoulders above Brian Ortega. And I, I did think you're right that there was sort of sort of a Hail Mary quality to some of those third round lands by Brian Ortega. Certainly the heart and toughness next level for T-City, and we all respect that. And thankfully, the doctor uh, did what the corner uh, James Lurson and Henner Gracie perhaps were unwilling to do and stop the fight after the fourth round so that Brian Ortega didn't absorb any further damage. You know, as Dana White said, uh, that fifth round wouldn't have been good for him health wise in terms of career trajectory. And the fourth round wasn't wasn't real productive either in no. terms of uh, long long term health and well-being for Brian T. City Ortega. But you're right, man, for Max Holloway on the feet. I mean, he just treats this like a sparring session. You know, I mean, he's got his son sitting there on the headset listening to the broadcast, you know, ingesting every moment of this because it's almost like Max Holloway just knows what's going to happen, you know, and maybe in that third round, he didn't manage risk all that well and did get cracked a couple times. And then, of course, he comes over to the broadcast table and calls his shot, literally tells us he's going to go finish in the fourth round and went out and did just that. Right. Did everything humanly possible to finish Ortega in the fourth round. I can't ever remember that happening. You know, it's one thing to be world class and completely dominate the number one contender. It's another thing. It's like, you know, calling a home run and then hitting it. I mean, nobody's (laughs) doing that at the highest level. No. You know? No. And and listen, and this is also where Max Holloway needs to be careful because the very thing I think that makes us great in certain things is also our our greatest weakness as well. So he has to be careful playing, uh, you know, the who's mainly your game uh, at times because he was staying in the pocket. He was completely disrespecting Brian Ortega striking perhaps rightfully so but he also needs to be careful staying in the pocket and watching his work sometimes because a couple of those Hail Marys definitely landed um, I'm not sure I agree with, with Joe Rogan that uh, Max Holloway was in, in a lot of trouble or that it, it possibly stumbled him or but um, you know I think it was enough of a warning sign to Max Holloway yeah. to watch the hell out uh, when right. when he's in that pocket but my goodness he, he's a fantastic fighter and to Brian Ortega um, 
you know, the good news is, well, I, let's talk about the bad news. The bad news is, is that his striking needs a lot of work, but yeah. that can be fixed. The good news is he has championship heart, and that stuff just simply cannot be taught. So the fact that he has that kind of heart and determination as a fighter um, is just amazing because that's the kind of stuff that I think a lot of coaches look at and go, you know what, I just can't, I can't teach that kind of heart in my fighter. Right. Brian Ortega right. has that in spades. Uh, the, the kind of heart that he showed in that fight was just unbelievable. He was willing to go an extra round. Uh, I absolutely agree with the stoppage. They should have done that. Uh, it was not going to get better for him. Um, that's one of those fights, man, where, where you look at it. I don't think he's going to be hesitant in other fights uh, going forward. He just... He's a fighter, man. Uh, yeah. But I, I do think that's the kind of fight that you, you, you see your fighter take a lot of damage like that, uh, and that's worrying to me. I, I don't want to see a fighter yeah. take that kind of damage too many times in their career, especially right. a promising and young one like Brian yeah. Ortega. Man, does he have a high threshold for pain, though. I mean, Max is hitting him with legitimate power shots, and he is not even flinching. Yeah. You know, I mean, literally didn't show any signs of being hurt uh, until it was just too much in terms of the pressure and the volume and the pace and everything else. In terms of Ortega, the striker, again, you hit on a lot of good things. You know, when I was studying for this fight, what jumped off the page was Max Holloway's plus strike differential and just off the chart striking differential and the fact that Brian Ortega had a negative strike differential that he got hit yeah. with 1.61 more significant strikes per minute than he landed so we knew going in that those numbers were really pronounced right and I was hearing from people all week what am I missing why is Max Holloway an underdog and yes he's a slight underdog right it was even money plus 105 so we'll just get that out there mm -hmm. slightest of underdogs but he closed as the underdog with a 12-fight winning streak in tow. And a lot was made of, of his answers to questions, Kenny, and the way he carried himself verbally mm. during fight week. And I thought at least this time around, way too much was made of that by betters or, or everybody else. I don't know. Um, but I didn't think that... Uh, I thought there there was just a lot of value on Max Holloway going in there for betters when he was in that even money plus 105 range. But yeah, we'll see what where T-City goes. As far as where Max Holloway goes, Kenny, uh, we threw out the poll question at Anik Florian Pod. Got about 4,000 votes before we came on. I threw out Conor McGregor, Khabib Nurmagomedov, Hanato Moicano, or the Chad Mendez, Alexander Volkanovsky winner as next options for Max Holloway. I did not throw out Frankie Edgar because he had that Korean zombie fight go away and that spoke to me that maybe Edgar would need a win to get a featherweight title shot. And I did not throw Tony Ferguson out there because unless he's fighting Holloway for an interim lightweight championship, I don't know how you put that fight together. Tony's next fight has to be for the undisputed lightweight title, right? I mean, mm -hmm. so what do you think is going to be next for Max Holloway and what do you see his future as far as the featherweight division is concerned? Listen, is there another guy at featherweight that can challenge Max Holloway? I don't think so. I really don't. I think Max Holloway has essentially cleaned out that division. There's not another fight at 145 pounds that really gets me out of my chair and says, I really want to see that fight. Right. As of right now, listen, it's an amazing division, but I think Max Holloway has just simply cleared it out. He's beaten all the best guys in that division. I would like to see him move up at 155 pounds. I think his nutritionists and coaches would like to see him move up, yeah. move up at 155 pounds. And I think nothing is more intriguing to me than a, a fight against Conor McGregor at 155 pounds. I think... You know, uh, you know, some of the other analysts and some of the other people were saying that, uh, you know, Conor McGregor is the greatest 145-pounder. Are we really comparing the Max Holloway that fought him way back when to the Max Holloway of, of today? 
Right. I mean, it, it's right. just two different guys. Right. And I think Conor McGregor uh, has changed a lot. Maybe not for the better. How does a guy like Conor McGregor go anywhere uh, and, and do things in the same fashion that he did way back when when he fought Max Holloway? Does he have any less than 30 guys anywhere he goes, you know, to right. be able to train in that same manner, to have the same kind of, uh, I don't know, eye of the tiger, if you will, uh, yeah. to make a Rocky reference, um, to prepare for a fight like he did before? Having $90 million in the bank plus, you know, I don't, right. I don't know. I don't think, I think they have two different mentalities right now. I think Max Holloway is extremely hungry. Conor McGregor, maybe he is, maybe he can train the same way, but... To train the same way in mixed martial arts isn't enough. You have to do more. You have to be able yeah. to, uh, you know, do more, be more technical, add more skills, uh, train longer. And I'm not sure that it's possible for a guy like a Conor McGregor to do that. I think that's what makes a guy like Floyd Mayweather in boxing so impressive. But yeah. um, that's the fight for me. Well, that was the fight that the fans, at least that responded to us, wanted to see. 59% for McGregor, 23% for Khabib, 10% for Moicano, and 8% for the Mendez-Volkanovsky winner. Largely, I'd agree with you on the featherweights right now. I don't know that there's a huge appetite for Hinato Moicano to be the guy with all due respect, but he is riding a winning streak. He's the highest-ranked guy, and of course, he was the guy that was brought in mm -hmm. uh, to make weight as a backup, even though he didn't make weight as a backup. Uh, Mendez, Volkanovski are right there. They fight at UFC 232 this year, so maybe Chad Mendez as a guy with some traction. If he can beat Volkanovski, he would be a guy that they could consider at featherweight. I think the issue with Max Holloway, not unlike Eon Jacek when she recently had a great cut for the Tisha Torres fight, when you think you're going into a fight that might be your last in that division and the cut goes really well, as it did for Max Holloway yeah. this weekend, I think now all of a sudden he's regenerated at featherweight and feels like he can have a fight week like he had this week and make the weight and defend that title. So I'm not surprised, given how fight week went, that he didn't close the door on it. But I would agree with you. I think most people in his inner circle are going to want him to move up to 155 pounds. As far as the Connor debate is concerned, and yes, that last meeting was 2013. McGregor kind of wrestled Holloway because he was fighting with a torn ACL. I don't know that you make too much of that when forecasting how the second fight would go. I agree with you, Kenny. I think these are guys that in some respects are going in different directions right now, but I can understand why the majority of people have an appetite for that fight. But what is it, a non-title fight at 155 pounds, right? Because I guess that's what you have to consider. With Tony Ferguson, he's won 11 straight fights. With Conor McGregor, right. he's been submitted in two of his last four. And those are just the facts, right? Mm -hmm. So at least with Ferguson and Holloway, they have to be fighting for a championship, right? I mean, does you think Max just moves up and, and fights Connor in a three-round non-title fight or a five-round main event, I guess it would be, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I don't know. I think there are a lot of considerations. I think sure. an interim lightweight fight makes sense because Khabib's hearing has now been postponed until January. Um, and, you know, Dustin Poirier is another name in the mix. Maybe he fights Nate Diaz. Maybe Nate Diaz is the guy for Max Holloway, but... Uh, Let's just say a lot of options for Max Blessed Holloway, and, and he'll have that 13-fight winning streak in tow whenever he does return. Um, as far as Brian Ortega is concerned, in defeat, uh, you know, and again, there are so many matchups in this featherweight division. Whether they're favorable for him or not, I don't know, but maybe the Korean Zombie, Yair Rodriguez, those guys just fought recently. I mean, the Edgar fight's not going to happen again, but... 
What do you think for Brian Ortega? And despite the fact that we saw a pronounced gap in skill and everything else between these two guys, is he someone who you think can build himself back up and, and get himself in position uh, to be a featherweight or a lightweight champion? I would say this. Absolutely he can. The thing, it's going to take some serious restructuring. And, and, and I hate to uh, talk bad about coaches or criticize coaches, but, you know, listen, if, I, if that's my guy out there and I'm his striking coach, I, I, you know, I candidly, I sit down with him and I say, Brian, I've taken you as far as I can. You need to go into another striking coach because that guy just didn't do his job. Uh, you know, and it's not like uh, Brian Ortega hasn't been hit in previous fights. As you mentioned, I, I was not aware of that striking differential, but he gets hit a lot. And, and defensively, how do you let your fighter go out there against a Max Holloway and get him hit that many times that, that hard? Yeah. And, right. you know, if that's my guy and he looks like a complete monster after the fight, I, yeah. you know, in a bad way, I say, you know what? You, you got to go with a different striking coach. And if you can go with a different striking coach with a different head coach, I think he could absolutely get back to the top and become a champion in this sport. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, you know, again, I, I don't know much about, uh, you know, Brian's striking coach. I, I know that, you know, they train in a garage. I don't know what he's accomplished in, in boxing or anything like that. And I'm sure he's a great guy. And, you know, loyalty is is big, but if you're trying to get to the top and, and your guy can't help you, that's what you need to you know talk to your coach and say, listen, thank you for everything you've done. I want you to still be a part of this team, but I need someone who can take me and 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 make me the best possible fighter I can be. It's that simple. And if that yeah. coach uh, it really cares about him, he lets him do that. Yeah. I think that's a fair assessment, and it's a, a critical one, and not one that a lot of people are willing to put out there. So I, I respect you for saying that, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're saying that James Lurson can never hit pads for him again, or right. that you know Henry Gracie's not going to be his chief corner or any of that stuff, right? But don't be afraid to get some different looks because ultimately, um, going in there, this wasn't uh, the right strategy against this type of opponent, and maybe he didn't have the right skill development to beat this guy. You know, once out of ten times, at least in 2018, I don't know. Yeah. Later on, we will get back into the greatest featherweight of all time discussion because I think there are some important clarifications, at least, that I would like to make. Uh, but Ray Longo whiffed on another main event, so let's rub it in. Here's the Ray Longo Minute. It's now time for the Ray Longo Minute. I want you to punch a hole in this fucking chest. That's what I want. The Ray Longo Minute. Starring Ray Longo. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. Harry Connick. Likes the lasagna. <laughs> that I was got the greatest. Some life, John, don't I? I'm living the I, dream, baby. I mean, I don't know if it had fifty thousand views. I think about nineteen or twenty of those views were mine this weekend. I mean, yeah, I think the other, I think the other fifty thousand were mine. But I'm not yeah, sure. yeah. that's a line as iconic as "You can do it." I love it. That was that was that was amazing. It is. Uh, it was funny. What a what a, so, what a blast that was. So we have a saying in sports betting circles. It's called follow or fade, right? So if a handicapper or a better is hot, you follow his pick. If he's not hot, you fade him, right? So I think a lot of our listeners are fading. What are you talking about? I, I picked Holloway. You... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't prove a goddamn thing. You cannot. So prove I think a lot thing. of our listeners' flow are fading Ray Longo, and as a result, Fake they news. bet Max Holloway this weekend. Holy crow! Wait, first let me <laughs> let me defend let me let me defend the guy striking coach a little bit. Okay, because I, I didn't. I'm I'm gonna say I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb a little bit. I'm not I'm just being the devil. I'm being the devil's advocate okay. a little bit. But uh, 
I didn't see a, a like it wasn't like the disparity in skill. It was just a disparity in in output. I mean, he just couldn't deal with the output. You know, like he rolled, he would roll the first couple of punches, but then the next five would kill him. So I think the volume killed him more than the technique. Uh, but I could be I could be wrong on that, and you know I don't want to throw anybody under the bus because John brings up a good point. I mean, skill development. You know, he might just not have the skill. I mean, yeah. you know, you can only take guys so far. You know, yeah, maybe the other guy. It's been happening yeah. for a while. I feel like defensively. You know, Brian just didn't really know what to do out there. And, yeah, sure, okay, he's throwing a lot of combinations, but he can move his feet, he can keep his hands up, he can move his head. And yeah. Brian's been getting hit with some big shots. This isn't the first He was outstruck by Clay Guida. Clay uh, Guida from a couple years ago. That's the thing. And, yeah, he came yeah. back to win the fight. Brian's heart is leading the way for a lot of his wins. Yeah, I'll, and that's, I'll, 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 you know what I mean? That, that's that, the yeah. only thing. And, yeah, I hate doing that too because, yeah. you know, I made millions of mistakes as a fighter. Uh, yeah. And I don't know everything. That's for damn sure. But right. for me, I just think if Brian wants to get back to the top, it, I think he just needs a different look. I, I really do. Yeah. Or at least maybe just talk to somebody different, yeah. maybe a different strategy. But uh, and it doesn't mean he has I mean, to leave him, you know. I mean Holloway. Holloway's kind of done this to everybody. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's he's hitting guys that you know you can't say Jose Aldo's coach was yeah. so good because he got hammered. And yeah. Who else did this guy hammer? You know, I mean, it's he's good. And I tell you what, the the surprise for me was that he was healthy. Which we, I think that was the question was, you know, right. can he come back from all we've heard? You know what I mean? Like he's slurring his speech. He doesn't know where he's at. So he, pro he proved everybody wrong. He looked great. Phenomenal fight. I'm, and I'm just happy he's healthy. I really am. Because I, I, I love watching the guy fight. I was worried about him. And I kind of picked based on what I've heard in the past. But right. He was phenomenal. Yeah. Phenomenal. I do think that the betting line was moved or where it was because a lot of people subscribe to that line of thinking, Ray, right? That yeah, Max Holloway wasn't healthy. And, you know, even though much was made of Kenny and Michael Bisping's interview with him on UFC tonight, you know, I think you can argue, too. I mean, this is just one hill chill, chill Hawaiian in a lot of respects, even though, Kenny, I know when you and Mike talked to him, obviously he wasn't in the place he was in during this past fight week. But, right. you know, he's never been you know, the most verbose guy, at least in terms of giving you these long-winded, thoughtful answers, you know? And I just thought that a lot of people were taking a great leap. You have a guy who was a two-to-one favorite for the first meeting, and now all of a sudden he's plus money. Didn't make a lot of sense to, to the sharp betters out there at the very least. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some weird stuff in my life. I, I had a guy that you guys know, I'll leave his name out of it for now, but he, he walked into a, a practice session with a dog in a, in a cage. And when he was leaving, he sparred. He didn't get knocked down. Nothing. Good sparring. When he was leaving, I said, you, you forgot the dog. He told me I didn't bring a dog. <laughs> I mean, he told, literally, wow, I mean, wow. you can't make this stuff up. I mean, we had to get him to, to the hospital. The guy was divorced. He thought he was still married. I mean, and oh, now wow. after the, Kenny, that was the last of it. Man. Ten years later, not a sign of anything. Jeez. Guy literally, Kenny goes, I didn't bring a dog in. I don't even have a Man. dog. I mean, it was absolutely bizarre. Wow, wow! But, and the guy's per and the guy's perfect today. That well, that's good news. 
And yeah. I, I want to talk about some other good news, man. Your, your guy, Ally Aquinta, who has a fight coming up, man. Uh, how's he oh, doing? Yeah. And, and uh, how has the camp gone uh, against Kevin Lee? Wait, am I, am I to understand that the lasagna bit is over? We're not talking about that. <laughs> we'll get back to it. Harry Connick likes the lasagna. Where's the gem? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Now let's move on to the fight. I'm sorry. I tell you what, uh, Al, Al's leaving today. I was with him last night. Very, very excited for this fight, man. He's on point. And, uh, man, it's going to be a great fight. And I think the Holloway-Ortega fight had to amp both guys up. You yeah. know what I mean? I think that was one of those fights where – my heart was coming out of my chest, and I just just wanted to get to Milwaukee myself. You know, so right. No, I'm uh, sure. Very motivating, and Al had a great night last night. He had a great weekend, great week, everything. That's awesome. Good spot, really good, good stuff. You're gonna see a you're gonna see a guy possessed. So, as many of our listeners know, you are the star of this podcast. You have been on since episode one, every single week, as we wanted, as our coach, who would be a, a weekly staple on this show. But I have to, if I'm being honest, say that when your guys fight, you give us fucking nothing, man, right? I know you want to keep it close to the vest, but, like, I don't even – I just crossed off my next question because I know you're not going to fucking answer it, right? So, I'll just tell Kevin Lee's minus 320. Ally Aquinta's yeah. plus 240. I'm not I'm, asking for I'm your so, game I'm very, plan. Su- I'm very surprised at that. Does that help you? <laughs> Mr. Secret okay. Squirrel over there, tell us yeah. something, will you? Yeah, no, and I'm what just, you I'm just oh, jabbing listen, you. You know, here's the deal. You know, like, Al's healthy. He, that's all I imagine. Sometimes, I, I, sometimes, believe me, I do an interview. I say a guy's healthy. The next two days later, he's not healthy. Right. <laughs> and then it, I just, I, I've learned the less I've said, the better. Yeah, but no, I of course. Surpri- I am. I'm really surprised at the odds. Yeah, but you know, and I'm not asking you for your game plan because I know that's not going to bear fruit, right? But I will talk to both Kevin and Al by phone tomorrow, and even when I ask the fighters what kind of fight they're expecting or what fight they're expecting their opponent to bring to them, that we're going to save till the broadcast. A lot of fighters still don't want to share the details, and and I respect you guys for it. So you are a little bit surprised at how pronounced the betting odds are. It doesn't seem like, uh, at least right now, um, anybody seems to be placing a bet large enough to move it. But very interesting. Big weekend for you. At least you're getting paid by the Ankin Florian podcast regardless. So I yeah. look forward to you seeing you no in Milwaukee. And, uh, you have no idea how excited I am to see you down there. I can't wait to see you, man. It's been too long, and I think it's just a great way to sort of usher out the Fox era to have a fight like this that the fans are really excited for. So, uh, safe travels. When are you leaving? Very upset about Fox leaving, though. Very, very upset. So many good people over there. It's true. A lot of people, not just our Anakin Florian podcast staff, but everybody at Fox on the television side that has devoted seven-plus years of their life, you know, to this sport. Great job, too. Phenomenal job. We'll make sure to credit all of those people on our final Fox Sports episode, which is New Year's Eve, December 31st. When are you headed to Milwaukee, Ray? I'm leaving Thursday morning. Okay, as am I. Hopefully I'll see you at the airport, buddy. Bundle up. It's even colder than New York. I'll have my winter coat, man. I'm, all I'm thinking is Vince Lombardi in the 60s and some of those games in the snow. Yeah. Oh, man. yeah. That's all I'm thinking. Lombardi, the yeah, king man. of coaching. Lombardi yeah, likes the lasagna. Ah, yeah. There you go. Vince Lombardi, Lombardi likes, likes the lasagna. Yeah, Vince Lombardi likes the lasagna. Oh, How about you? The guy who hasn't watched the NFL, his own self-imposed ban is, is dropping Vince Lombardi <laughs> on the Anakin Florian podcast. Well, hey. I was watching back in 1971. I can guarantee you that. It's a good thing he didn't yeah. watch the end of the Patriots game. Oh, what, do you, what, do you think, what do you think Lombardi would have did? 
with guys uh, kneeling all over them. What do you think he would have done? I slap them around. Exactly. Yeah. Well, all right, man. We'll see you in Milwaukee. I know you got a haircut. You didn't get a lot of it. How's it look? better than last week. It's all right. You, I mean, you need to get far more. A little hair over the ears. You got to trim Dude, around. I got to tell you, my hair just—it doesn't stop growing. That's yeah. a good thing, Ray. I know. I don't know what I got. I got to shave yeah. it off. It's my hair ah, mentor yeah. right there. There it is. Yeah. Hey, uh, right, safe travels, man. We will see you in Wisconsin. And watch that video a couple more times. Go to Instagram. Yeah, I will. <laughs> Ray Longo's cameo on Kevin Can Wait. Is that, still show, is that show still going, Ray? Nah, they canceled it. And, uh, what I, was a, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and shout out to Kevin. He's a great guy. I really yeah. appreciate him putting me on. He really, and he helps, helps all his friends. He really does. You see, Weidman was on there, a bunch of shows. And yeah. There's a million right, right. other guys who throws on there. All right, best of luck to you and Al. We'll see you in uh, Milwaukee, bud. Fly, sa- awesome, fly buddy. safely, dude. Thanks a lot, man. All right, there he is, Ray Longo. Well, as you saw this weekend, UFC featherweight Brian T. City Ortega, about as tough as it gets, absolutely loves the fight, loves the strategy. You know what else he loves? Toyo tires, because like Ortega, Toyo tires are as tough as they come, and they are the official tire of the UFC. You know, there's a lot to love about Toyo tires, aggressive design, proven on and off-road capabilities. These are truly tires for any weather, and they've got the toughness to back up that claim. There's just a confidence that comes with tough tires. So no matter what you're driving, no matter where you're driving, you can count on Toyo tires. And, of course, they look great as well. They are the choice of so many fighters up and down this UFC roster. Tough people love tough tires, and Toyo tires have been proven time and time again. So if you're tough, these are the tires for you. Toyo tires. The next time you need tires, ask for Toyo, the official tire of the UFC. Learn more at toyotires.com slash UFC, toyotires.com slash UFC. All right, so might as well hit on the featherweight greatest of all time stuff here and then give Valentina Shevchenko and everybody else their due, Ken Flo. So in terms of the greatest featherweight of all time, Conor McGregor's fans always seem to be the loudest in this argument because there are the most of them. And I respect the argument that Conor McGregor is the greatest featherweight of all time. I respect that opinion. He has wins over Dustin Poirier, a win over Max Holloway, a win over Jose Aldo. But when I look at body of work resumes for Max Holloway and Conor McGregor, and and I don't think Jose Aldo necessarily, well, there's an argument to be made for Jose as well. But if the argument is Holloway Ortega, or excuse me, if the argument is Holloway McGregor, as it was for many this weekend, Mm -hmm. when I look at what Max has done, this 13-fight winning streak, now the two undisputed title defenses, the nature of the two wins versus Jose Aldo, which to me seem more impressive now than the 13-second knockout in all due respect, the Anthony Pettis fight mixed in there. I just feel like Holloway's case is building, and when you look at the UFC record books, not just at featherweight, but across the board in terms of strikes and finishes and everything else, Max Holloway is all over the UFC record books. Winning his featherweight, most finishes active 13 fight winning streak it's just too much and as i sit here today maybe i got caught up in the moment but as i sit here today monday december 10 2018 i think i am looking at the greatest ufc featherweight champion of all time listen it's hard to argue that um i think for for max holloway yeah i think that's the big question right what's more impressive is it conor mcgregor's 13 second knockout being the first guy to recognize the vulnerability in Josie alder to the counter shot uh, or is it Max Holloway defeating him not once but twice by finish in the third round? Um, I would probably be leaning towards Max Holloway. I, I think there's tremendous value in recognizing uh, or being the first person uh, to beat that guy who was thought to be unbeatable. 
Um, but I think there's only one way to find out, and that's to run it back. And and listen, yeah. I, I think Jose Aldo, uh, a Jose Aldo Conor McGregor rematch would be interesting at 155 pounds as I well. Agree. Because I think for a lot of people, we've talked about this. Did we really see that fight? Did we really right. see uh, that Jose Aldo Conor McGregor fight? 13 seconds isn't a whole lot of time. One shot, right. and it was over. Um, but yeah, I think um, it's interesting. You look at Max Holloway; how many times he's fought at 145 ta- uh, 445 pounds as well. I think that is extremely impressive. Um, yeah. He's just as big as Conor McGregor, if not yeah. bigger. I mean, he's taller than him. Uh, he does have a big frame. He does cut a lot of weight, as does Conor McGregor. And the fact that he's remained that consistent against yeah. that kind of competition right. uh, is nothing short of amazing. And I also feel like there's a comparison to be drawn between the modern-day UFC and even the WEC days to Mm. the NFL and the salary cap era, right? Like Bill Belichick is the greatest NFL head coach of all time because he's doing this with restrictions that Bill Walsh of the San Francisco 49ers and other coaches in the past didn't have. It's a different era. And to me... You know, when I think about 2008 versus 2018, with every bit of respect in the world to Jose Aldo, what Max Holloway is doing against these world beaters in an era in which we've never had more talented UFC champions across the board, I just think the pendulum for me swings toward him. Obviously, Max Holloway and Conor McGregor don't have wins over Frankie Edgar. Jose Aldo has a couple of those and pretty decisive ones at that. So Mm -hmm. that's a feather in Jose's cap. And again, it's a three-man argument. They all have their merits, but... Man, what Max Holloway has put on paper is absolutely incredible. And not only is he not showing any signs of slowing down, but he's showing the part of an all-time great type fighter and a guy who can be a two-division champion maybe at the same time. And, and John, I would say just to add to that, I think if you're the UFC, your two most exciting uh, champions right now, in my opinion, is Max Holloway uh, and TJ Dillashaw. You know, those are the guys that are are not only winning but uh, bringing uh, unbelievable action to the octagon. And I got to say, too, just because I made the point about our champions, our coordinating producer, Zach Candido, brought a point to my attention after Max Holloway won the fight. Kenny, think about the champions, right? Like there's not a, for lack of a better word, bad champion among them. Like we have like right. when you go down from Daniel Cormier, right, to Robert Whitaker, to Tyron Woodley, to Khabib Nurmagomedov, to Max Holloway, TJ Dillashaw, Henry Cejudo, Rose Namajunas, Valentina Shevchenko now, Amanda Nunes, Chris Cyborg. Yeah hope I didn't forget someone. I mean, would you look at that? The UFC champions to a man or a woman, these divisions have never been stronger. So when we talk about fighters being the greatest of all time, more than you'd like us to, part of it is because about where the sport is right now and just how talented the top of those divisions are. Uh, I think we all feel good for Valentina Shevchenko breaking through as she spoils the UFC flyweight debut of Ioana Jacek and becomes a UFC champion for the first time. This belt was vacant. It is vacant no more. Domination from Shevchenko, four rounds to one, according to all three judges. Flo, that is how I had it as well, even though I thought maybe there were there was one other round that maybe Ioana had that was pretty close, but I, I had it four to one for Valentina Shevchenko. And for a lifelong martial artist like this, Kenny, who has a coach who was mixing martial arts in 2002, when nobody thought it was cool, I just feel really good for Valentina. And if anybody deserves to take a UFC belt home and put it on her mantle, man, it's that one. Without a doubt, with all those fights that she missed, I mean, she absolutely deserves it. Uh, you know, just based on that alone. But you look at her performances and what she's done; uh, she was just fantastic on Saturday night. Um, what was the round that they they gave you on it? Was it the fourth round? 
I believe so. I don't okay, have that, the round by round breakdown. I'll look it up while okay, we're Okay, yeah, because that that was the closest round for me uh, that that I thought you want to uh, potentially won. Uh, you could even argue that uh, Valentina won all five, but um, I, yeah. I thought she was just on point, and she absolutely did her homework and. Uh, there should be some big-time credit to her coaches as well for really looking at Ioana and her weaknesses. And I think there's a couple things. For Ioana, for someone who doesn't come from a wrestling background, she defends leg attacks extremely well. Her ability to defend single and double legs uh, is just fantastic. Valentina made those adjustments and really approached it more like a judoka. She was looking for that head and arm throw. She was looking. She landed some of the most beautiful foot sweeps. That takes tremendous timing. Uh, and she was was just doing a lot of body lock Greco-Roman style takedowns, which Ioana wasn't used to. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant, sprinkling in those high-level takedowns. I, I thought was just awesome. Not to mention, her counter-striking was absolutely on point. It Sometimes it takes Valentina a little bit uh, longer to get back in the fight. I thought from round one, yes. she was just unbelievable uh, countering Ioana. And I think for Ioana, she was just taking too much of a linear approach. And I think that's why she's been a little hesitant. And that's why she was caught against Rose Namunis. And I think either her coaching or her, she doesn't know how to find and create that angle. She just comes behind her jab, but she comes ve very linear. Uh, both offensively and defensively. Valentina was well aware of that. She was hitting that spinning back kick as a as a, just a gorgeous counter. She was landing yeah. with her left hand as well. Um, I, I think that was maybe not as impressive as Max Holloway given the action, but as far as skill, it was absolutely right there with yeah. Max Holloway. I, yeah. I was just blown away by Valentina Shevchenko. And you're right, Joanna did miss a lot, right? And you kept hearing Mike Brown, I think it was, and Cattell Kubis call for the long straight right, and she just seemed out of range uh, yeah. oftentimes. And some people, too, were sort of suggesting that maybe, you know, she was trained to miss a little bit, right? As long as she just kept pumping that jab, it didn't even necessarily matter if it landed or not. But Valentina was just was too much in, in every realm of mixed martial arts. And I think she's going to be, for most of these other flyweight hopefuls that are climbing the ladder, a lifetime in the game, and, and I hope we made enough of this on the broadcast. Mm -hmm. I mean, she literally travels around the world with her manager, her head coach, and her sister, and all they do is travel and train and explore different cultures and ways to get better. So when she gets in there and makes all of these things look so easy and rote and responds so seamlessly with strikes coming back, it's because this is literally all this woman does. And there may be fighters that train as much. There's no fighter out there that trains more. I don't know if you saw Countdown to UFC 231, Kenny. They ended up going and training in Farmingdale, Maine at a little school called Lawton MMA because it simulated life in their home nation, right? So in the dead of winter, so they're awesome. getting in an RV and traveling to Maine. You know, like the UFC Countdown crew has got to be like, are you fucking yeah. kidding me right We got to go there. You said we're going to be in Texas, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's why I just I feel so good for this woman. And she has had so much pressure on her right since the second Amanda Nunes fight, a fight that people thought she won, but she didn't do anything in round one and paid for it. And certainly to your point, she changed that approach for this fight. But just feel really good for her. As for what's next for Valentina Shevchenko, it seems like it's going to be Jessica I. And I say that re with respect to Nico Montano. I'm not sure the promotion feels like they can count on the only other flyweight champion, Nico Montano, to make the weight. Um, and Jessica I on this show with a lot of eyeballs on it had a big win over Ch Caitlin Chukagian. She won by split decision. I thought she won the fight. So maybe that's going to be next for Shevchenko. Mm. But I think the more interesting talking point, because our time is short, is what's next for Ioana Yunjacek. Because 
She loved fight week, right? She was fed. She was able to train a little bit of even quantity over quality at times just because she wasn't going. I mean, dude, we're talking about a, a woman who was ingesting like 1,100 calories a day when she was making 115 pounds. So what do you think for Yolano? Do you think she stays at flyweight or do you think because Valentina appeared so dominant Saturday night that that'll give her pause to, uh, to stick around at 25? I think Yuana can win that fight. I, I really do. I, I just, again, I think for that fight, she needs a different approach, and she needs a different understanding of how to enter and get out safely. I, I don't think she understands that, and I think that's why she's so hesitant uh, and just kind of pumping out that jab. Um, she's, she thinks she's going against those other women that she dominated 115 pounds, and yeah. it's just not the case anymore. This sport is always evolving, and fighters are getting better. And Valentina Shevchenko, with all her striking experience, I, I think just understood the game better. I, I think it's an information game. And uh, for Valentina Shevchenko... Um, she just understood it better. She had better information. She knew what yeah. she was doing out there. Uh, I would like to see Yuana stay at 125 pounds. I think she's yeah. healthier. I don't think she needs to kill herself to get down to 115 pounds anymore, but I do think she needs a different approach. And, um, you know, there's not a whole lot of women in that division. I could see her fighting for that belt again at 115 pounds with Rose Namunis beating her twice. Um, it's going to be tough for her to get a shot at Rose again. Um, right. Unless there's a, there's a change, you know, if Andrade is able to beat, uh, you know, Rose, for example, I think maybe right. it would be worth going down to 115 pounds. But I think it's just some technical adjustments for Joanna, and she can be right back in there. Yeah. No, and that's going to be the next fight for Rose Namajunas. It will be Jessica Andrade whenever Rose is ready to go. You know Andrade is ready to go 45 weeks a year. Uh, all right, so it sounds like you would give Joanna a pretty decent chance. She was a plus 270 underdog. Uh, would you agree with me that Jessica I will be an even bigger betting underdog and, and is sort of up against it in that matchup if that's the direction in which they go? It, absolutely. I mean, you look yeah. at Ioana with all of her experience um, and her proficiency at striking that she showed as a champion, 115 pounds. We haven't quite seen that from Jessica I. I think Jessica I is as tough as they come. Yeah. Um, but uh, I'm not sure she has the skill to contend with a Valentina Shevchenko at this point in the game. Yeah. All right, one of the night's biggest winner, the winners, I should say, the returning Gunnar Nelson. I feel like I'm around mixed martial arts or, or Brazilian jiu-jitsu royalty when I'm around this guy. I don't know if I'm starstruck, if that's the right way to put it, but he just has this this vibe that, that just I feel like I'm around a superstar. And mm. I think he kind of has a fan base to back that up. Had a lot of fan support against Alex Cowboy Oliveira this weekend. Tremendous fight, some early adversity for Gunny. I thought Oliveira was pretty impressive in reversing some positions in this fight, just leaning on his strength. But for Gunnar Nelson to get a win like this, right? This is this is classic Ken Flo, folks, right? You get like a knockout and a submission. You ruin the guy's face, Oof. and then for good measure, you turn around and, and nearly choke him unconscious. Huge win for Gunnar Nelson. Put an axe in the Cowboy's head. Oh. My goodness, that elbow was a thing of beauty. Um, as soon as he landed, I was like, oh, that's it. Yeah, that, that is a yeah, nasty right, cut. Right. Uh, and my goodness, the blood backed that up. But, uh, yeah, for Gunnar Nelson, man, he really battled back uh, from some scary moments against Cowboy Oliveira, who definitely showed some improvements. You know, uh, I think Cowboy is a very exciting fighter. Um, but I'm not sure he's always shown uh, the most technical uh, style in, in the octagon. But I thought he looked better uh, here against Gunny, who is a fantastic martial artist. And, and I would agree. He does have a certain aura about him. This guy is a true martial artist through and through. Um, 
and I thought he adjusted very well uh, in that fight against Cowboy Oliveira, uh, getting that mount position, landing that beautiful elbow, and transitioning right into that rear naked choke was a thing of beauty. And it looked like Cowboy Oliveira was going to tap as soon as he turned his back. It's almost oh, like yeah. Yeah. he wanted that rear naked choke to get put into yeah. place. But uh, Gunnar Nelson is just a fantastic jiu-jitsu practitioner and an overall good mixed martial artist. And um, he is a superstar, man. I, I mean... Iceland, uh, the whole country of Iceland, I, I yeah. think, is is much smaller than even the city of Los Angeles. But he is one of the biggest athletes uh, yeah. in the country by far. Uh, so good to see uh, the great Gunnar Nelson get that win there. And I do think if if the for, for scoring purposes, if you go back and look at it, it might have even been a submission due to strikes. Right? It seemed like. Yeah. The tap almost came before there was there was the submission, but mm -hmm. big win for Gunnar Nelson. New strength and conditioning program for him, and against this type of opponent, I thought it was important for him to uh, to sort of have something like that, and it certainly paid off for him. He's not a guy that cuts a lot of weight. He's a guy who said if there was a 165 pound division, that would really be his wheelhouse. But Gunnar Nelson is back and in a big way. Uh, Tiago Santos with a huge knockout of Jimmy Manoa. History is going to look fondly back at what Tiago Santos has done over the last two years. I mean, this dude's an animal, man. I mean, double-digit knockdowns. Knockouts in the UFC, too, but dude's got double-digit knockdowns in the UFC, right? Four wins this year, five total fights, made way to six time as the backup for Israel Adesanya, Brad Tavares, right? I mean, you talk about a UFC workhorse and a guy that has the results despite the schedule. Massive win for Tiago Santos this week. It seemed like when Jimmy Manuel went, Manuel went out there and saw Santos charge at him, he was like, "Hey, hey, man! Just take it. This is just a sport, dude. Take it <laughs> easy. Like, calm down. Give me a little time to get into this fight." And Santos was not having it. He just went out there and just turned it into a brawl, which I thought was a tremendous strategy, actually, against Manuel, who's a little bit more of a technical striker, likes to take his time, looks for the entries, likes to analyze a little bit, and yeah. Santos just never let him really get in the fight and there were some good moments for Manoa no doubt about it but uh, for Santos I think he rocked him early and it was tough for Manoa to really get his bearings in the octagon and get comfortable uh, Santos went at him and just threw those hammers uh, and and rocked him early. It was I think there were shots kind of around the temple, so it was tough for Manuel to really find his equilibrium right. in that fight early. Uh, he was able to settle down late in the fight and had some good moments there. Hit a nice takedown there against Santos, uh, but Santos is an absolute savage and looks very good at 205 pounds. Um, I also liked his just his fearless approach there, throwing like a capoeira kick at one point, almost like oh, a yeah. cartwheel kick. Yeah. Um, he was out there to not only beat Manuel, but to destroy him. He was trying to hurt him, and he did yeah. that. Yeah, and that's exactly what he said to us when we sat down with him on Thursday. It was very matter-of-fact that he was better everywhere and was going to go out there and prove it. Um, speaking of guys, who's pretty good everywhere. Now with us on the guest line, longtime MMA writer, radio host, television personality for SureDog.com. Now you can catch his work, among other places, at Patreon.com. The great Jordan Green is with us. JB, it's been a long time, man. Pleasure to talk to you, sir. How are you? You said I was good in all areas. I don't know if I would go that far. <laughs> so I know you've been bouncing around a little bit and a bit, and I want to get into to Max Holloway and everything that's going on in the sport. But for those of us that have followed your work, and for me, really since day one as a mixed martial arts fan, I ingested something of yours, <laughs> and you've been a credit to the sport. Where can we find you now, and what have the last six to 12 months held for you? The best thing you can do for me at this point in time, uh, my former Sherdog Radio Network producer, TJ DeSantis and I, and uh, a host of other camaraderie are trying to build out 
a new kind of MMA platform over on Patreon. So patreon.com slash between rounds. You know, you get the Jordan Breen show, you get roundtables for absolutely every event, beat down after the bell, daily recaps with Rob Tatum from MMA Corner, whole lot of MMA content, everything you could shake a stick at. I like to think it's a one-stop shop. So All right, patreon.com slash between Go support rounds. the homies. Patreon.com slash between rounds. Damn right. Support the homies. And we'll trot that out at the end of the interview as well. So, uh, so what are your thoughts on Max Holloway? And sometimes we go a little bit overboard in trying to put these wins into context historically. But at least in terms of the 20 minutes of fighting you saw this weekend, what was your feeling about Max Holloway, you know, relative to your expectations going in? Well, I mean, in, in an objective sense, there isn't really a way you can overstate it. I mean, dude, he basically, I mean, poor Michael Carroll from Fight Metric, this dude busted <laughs> every Fight Metric tabulator. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, I think, I think Holloway has now, so he's 20 and three as a pro fighter and he entered the UFC at four now. So he's had 19 UFC fights at this point in time. Um, he needed only 19 UFC fights to land the most significant strikes landed in the history of the UFC. And the only ahead of them are Frankie Edgar and Michael Bisping. And with all due respect to them, Bisping, I believe, had 29 UFC fights before he retired. And I think Edgar is at 26 or something like that. Right. And also, they're not the natural fight finishers that Max Holloway is. So... You have to keep in mind, not only did Max Holloway need, you know, like a half dozen fewer fights to surpass them in terms of significant strikes, he ends his fights faster than they do. Mm. Bisping and Edgar are one in two in all-time time spent in the octagon. So they've had much longer to actually accumulate significant strikes on their opponents. More than that, I mean... I think I think for hardcore fight fans, we kind of hold like I, I don't even know what you would call it, but like because it, it wasn't like a fight of the year or anything like that. But right. I think everyone has this kind of remembrance of the Nate Diaz and Donald Cerrone fight. It's it's just this fight where one guy beats the ever-loving tar out of another guy, and you can't believe, like, you're watching on a second-by-second, minute-by-minute basis, and you're like, is this ever going to end? Yeah. Like, yeah, how many strikes is he going to land? And Max Holloway surpassed that. He landed 290 significant strikes by fight metric count against Brian Ortega in 20 minutes. <laughs> and the fourth round... He broke, again, the Nate Diaz, Donald Cerrone measure by landing 143 strikes in five minutes. Man. So, I mean, (laughs) no no, no matter what comes of Max Holloway's career from here on out, I think we're always going to remember the Jose Aldo fights as kind of like the most formative, instructive, and most brilliant performances of his career. But... What he did against Brian Ortega, you know, it's just it, it's just a feather in the cap. It's it's this reminder that, I mean, you know, I you know I hate to be corny and kind of like use his own phraseology, but when Max Holloway talks about the Blessed Express, like we're just <laughs> lucky to have a ticket. We are, we are. 
<laughs> it is what it is. Well, listen, man, you know, I, I, I think that he's an absolute promoter's dream. And, and if I'm uh, the UFC, I'm breaking out my wallet every single time this guy goes out there and competes. Not only is it exciting, but the skill level uh, is just extremely impressive. Now, who would you want to see him fight next, man? You know, John and I were discussing, um, you know, there's a Conor McGregor fight potentially at 155. Uh, should he stay at 145 and, and I guess take on some other guys like a Frankie Edgar who, has, who he's never faced? Or does he go up to 155 uh, and, and fight a Conor McGregor or, or maybe uh, fight the winner of, of Ferguson and Habib? So, I mean, this is, this is absolutely the tricky question. I, if you listen to the post-fight press conference, Dana White is clearly – and. There's always an awkward feeling when you kind of have like the president of a promotion being like, we want this guy to move up. We, 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 want, we want this athlete who's an independent contractor to do this thing. But <laughs> that's the thing that makes Max Holloway great is he just doesn't care. You know, right. he, he, just really wants to, he, he, he just wants to get paid for having a great fight. <laughs> yep. And, I, I think I think that's the thing that you see reflected in the Ortega fight is, um, I, I mean, he started his career at 155. I don't think there's any slight whatsoever. And frankly, with his 13-fight winning streak, I mean, if you want to be a completionist and, and you really want to have that feeling of, oh, well, he really cleared out his division, maybe you want to figure out some way to finagle a Frankie Edgar title fight, just right. so you can say unequivocally right. that Max Holloway cleared out the featherweight division. But that's not really the way things work, and we're kind of operating under a new business model now. We know that WME, IMG, and Endeavor, they need to figure out a way to make $4.2 billion back on the UFC investment. So... If we're going to live in the era of the super fight, it, it, it's like Kenny said, like you, you can't get a better guy. Max yeah. Holloway kills it with the media. He's, and, 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 and like I said, with his fight, and, and I literally just wrote about this in my column for SureDog.com. Check out Five Lessons Learned from UFC 231 over on SureDog.com right now. Um, the thing that makes Max Holloway great is that we're in an era where, I mean, people are bonus incentivized. You know, people are always trying to get Dana White's attention or, you know, to get that extra 50K. And, and, and oftentimes they fight in a way that corresponds to that goal, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes it entertains us, but it may be to your detriment if you just want to throw caution to the wind and you're hoping you're going to get a bonus. The thing that blows me away about Max Holloway and the thing that makes him, you know, a legend in the game already at 27 years old is the fact that he just does it naturally. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's not a game. It's not a ruse. He's not trying to entertain us. It's just the way he fights. After three rounds against Ortega, he's already up 30-27. He could yeah. have just ran away and circled around the cage for the next 10 minutes and already won a decision and retained his title. But right. he turned up the heat, 
and he landed 143 significant strikes <laughs> and broke the fight metric record for a single round against a dude that he was already winning the fight against. Yep. And it's it's not when you watch him, it's it's not a conscious decision. You don't you don't watch Max Holloway and think like, oh, he's trying to entertain us. This isn't. You know, this this isn't kind of like Roman gladiator type bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, who he non, is. Yeah. You know, he just he just does it because that's the way he fights. And and it's like I said, like on the surface, I think that blessed is kind of a corny nickname. And granted, we're in a sport that's filled with corny nicknames. No disrespect to you, Kenny, but <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, we're blessed to live in the era of Max Holloway. You know, like like right. fighting is just in this dude's DNA. What oh, what he does, it's natural, it's reflexive, it's instinctive, and it's entertaining as hell. And so I think the best the best step forward both in terms of like business procedure, knowing what Endeavor wants to accomplish, but also knowing the fact that the UFC would probably compensate him very well for his time. It doesn't matter if it's a McGregor rematch. It doesn't matter if it's an interim title against Tony Ferguson. It doesn't matter if it's an actual championship fight against Habib Nurmagomedov. It's all gravy. You know, it really this, is. This dude, and this this dude, this dude has already planted his flag. I think I think he's already surpassed Jose Aldo as the best featherweight in history. He's already got one division on lock in a historical context. If he wants to move up to one fifty five, if the worst thing we can say, like, and that's the thing is that like like we still always worry like, what if? Well, what if this guy moves up and he loses? If Max Holloway loses a split decision to Tony Ferguson in a bullshit interim title fight, right. and it ends up being fight of the year, are we? Are, like, is anyone really worse off for that? Right. Two great no, not fighters at all. get paid. Yeah, and- like, like, like two great fighters get paid. We get to enjoy, you know, a potential like fight of the year. Like, like to me. That's like that's the fight at 155. I mean, I want to see Holloway go for the gusto. I want to see him fight Nurmagomedov and see how far he can push it. I would love to see the McGregor rematch. But in terms of a pure style match, him and Ferguson just seems like it has fight of the year written all over it. Yeah, so, and those are two guys that, in terms of what they care about, legacy really is first. And they want to prove that they are the best pound-for-pound fighter in the sport 45 weeks a year, right? They don't necessarily want to say, hey, I'm the best in the world when I have the most optimal eight-week training yeah. camp known to man, right? And that, I think, is an important distinction with Max Holloway because when he does move up to 155 pounds with finality – 155 and welterweight and wherever else he wants to go this is the type of guy who can save you know back-to-back pay-per-views if need be because he's ready to go so i think that's another well i mean we 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 already saw that i mean he was willing to step in on short notice and fight nurmagomedov and in all seriousness i mean like i submit this to both of you john and kenny like is there a guy independent of weight class 
who you would rather step in less on short notice against oh, than Habib Nurmagomedov. Yeah. I know. Like, right. like you have Max to come in on eight days' notice and face this dude who's going to ragdoll you and put you against the fence and sock you in the face and then talk to the commentators, <laughs> laugh at Joe Rogan, shit talk to Dana White while he's pummeling you? That's like the most emasculating thing you could possibly <laughs> imagine. It's insane. Dude literally called his shot and then turned in the most productive round in UFC history. Next time we have Jordan Breen on the show, I'm going to book him for a half an hour, but we have to run patreon.com slash between rounds. You get the Jordan Breen show and all of JB's other content. Hey, thanks for the time, man. We'll go longer next time. Great insight as usual, my man. John, Kenny, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. The great Jordan Breen, Sherdog.com, patreon.com slash between rounds rounds a lot of good things there on max right in terms of everything that he brings to the table and i'm glad that we had jordan to talk about something like that in terms of a little historical framework i i didn't realize that fourth round was was quite as productive as it was uh but the fact that it came after he essentially called his shot is just absolutely ridiculous i think ken flow is ever with all due respect was thinking about the fucking commentators or going <laughs> over and talking to them at any point in the fight i mean i was not uh yeah. but like, again like think about those dudes who are absolutely exhausted in the third round after uh, after doing half the output of max holloway no, and nuts. this guy's getting stronger and throwing more volume at you it, it's amazing unbelievable dude all right, well, for nine months, Team Anik has been leading the main event challenge uh-huh. by, like, double digits or more. Uh, but a funny thing happened on the way to Toronto. Let's get to the main event challenge. It's the main event challenge. Anik. The time is most definitely now. Florian. I finished fights! I'm going to do everything possible to win. The main event challenge. The John Anik and Kenny Florian podcast. So Team Anik was so far ahead in the standings, 13, 15 points a few weeks ago, that we actually started planning the punishment for Ken Florida to do a power <laughs> hour on the air. It was 138 to 130 going into UFC 231. Ken Flo wins his fourth consecutive week, 9 to 3. Big plays Nina Ansaroff at plus 240, also correctly predicted a Max Holloway knockout in the fourth round. Gunnar Nelson over Alex Oliveira. The lead is down to two points. The closest this thing has been since February, 141, 141 to 139 with two UFC live events remaining. And with us to make picks today, I'm glad we have a, a good guest picker because I need help. Writer and creator of the MMA comic series Cage Hero, former manager of Chris Weidman. So I hope they're still on good terms or we might have a problem. Ian Parker is with us. Ian, how are you, man? I'm good, John. How's it going? Doing well, bud. Uh, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. Before we get into uh, to the Fox card this weekend, uh, I, and I hope I'm not speaking out of school here, uh, Ian had $25,000 on Max Holloway Saturday night, folks. This is one of the sharpest bettors that I have wow. come across in my wow. time on social media. So, Ian, first off the top, congratulations. You felt pretty convicted to, uh, to lay the lumber on Bless this weekend, huh? I did. You know what? And what was crazy to me was the fact that he was even an underdog at some point. I think people really forget how dominant he's been. Um, and I've been saying this for a while. I know I mentioned this to you. I really think Max is probably the most evolved fighter um, over the last X amount of years, probably since his loss to Connor. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and it's funny how people are bringing that up because now I don't even think it'd be a close fight whatsoever between the two. You know, not many guys really just become that 
much better and keep getting better. And everyone forgets how young he is. You know, know. It's, it's crazy. So I was yeah. pretty confident. Yeah, no, that that's a good point you bring up. I don't even have twenty five thousand dollars. This guy got laid twenty five large. Hey, so so who would you like to see Max Holloway fight next, Ian? Because I know you're following this stuff as closely as anybody. Do you just want to see them proceed with him at featherweight, or is there a name at fifty five that that piques your interest more than others? You know, it's it comes down to really what makes the most sense for him and his body for longevity. I don't think he has anything left to prove at one forty five. And I don't think there's that many um, key marketing fights for him at this point, especially with Connor being at 55. There's so many ways they can do this. Um, I don't know how you don't give Tony Ferguson the title shot at this point. The only thing that they could do is if they, let's just say that they decide, you know what, we're going to throw Max Holloway against Habib. Then I would say, all right, do Tony versus Dustin and then do Connor Nate three, you know, and do it all on the same card and make it crazy. That, that, you know, yeah, they won't do that. I know. Yeah, no, but you're getting but, me excited. Uh, I mean, a lot of absolutely. that stuff makes sense. And uh, again, the fact that Tony publicly was willing to ask for a fight with Max or say he'd be interested if he didn't get the undisputed shot. You know, Tony is is very much cut from the same cloth as Max Holloway. I mean, the fact that Tony at, at, with 11 fights, 11 straight wins isn't like demanding an undisputed title fight is, is, is incredible to me. All right, first well, fight up well, for today, gentlemen. I think, it's because, I think it's because they don't know when Habib really is going to be able to fight. And he's not stupid. You know, he doesn't want to wait. Right. And right. There, there's money to be made in the fight against Holloway. No doubt, no doubt. And if it's an interim lightweight title, then, then at least that would set him up. But uh, yeah, no, I, and it's a legacy-building fight too. All right, first fight for debate today, gentlemen. Four fights on the main card this weekend on Big Fox this one's a lightweight rematch, eight years in the making. Charles Oliveira, minus 285. Jim Miller is plus 220. Ian, two guys here with more than 50 UFC fights between them. Who do you like? It's hard to not take Oliveira in this fight. I think Jim Miller, I, I think this actually kind of is weird that they're putting Jim Miller in this position. I was kind of hoping they'd give him something a little bit more, um, I hate to say winnable because Jim is still so solid. Uh, this just right. does not play into his strength. He's going against a guy a jiu-jitsu guy, and when Jim was once non-submissible, now he's, he's been submitted quite a few times. Uh, I like Oliveira here. I think his range with the striking, he'll be able to do whatever he wants, and the submission game is just too good. Jim's on the way out. I think Charles still has time to show that potential, so I, I like Oliveira here. Ken Flo, I think I might have found my guest picker that i got to trot out once a month. He's concise, but the information is good. Yeah. Strong star for Ian there, and I think he hit on a lot of good points. Jim Miller coming off a big win that he needed in what was his record 30th UFC appearance. Last meeting between these two guys all the way back at UFC 124, December 2010. Miller won that fight by knee bar at 159 of round one. Flow your thoughts on the rematch this weekend. Ian knows his shite. Listen, I, I th- I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Charles Oliveira here as well. I think that everything that Jim Miller is good at, Charles is a little bit better. You know, as far as striking, he's a little bit more talented, has a little, a little more weapons. He's going to be taller. Um, I also think that as far as the, the ground games go, I think he's more dangerous there as well. I think the only thing that, the only advantage that Jim Miller has here is his durability. I think Oliveira, um, you know, we've seen him uh, get caught with body shots, get caught upstairs where he kind of goes down. But I don't think Miller is that threat on the feet. I got to go with uh, Dub Bronx here. All right, next up on the main card at bantamweight, uh, Sergio Pettis will be the plus 145 underdog as he moves back down to 135 pounds to take on Rob Font here. Font favored at minus 175. Ian, what do you think? Rob Font, Sergio Pettis. 
You know, it's uh, this, this is a weird fight for me. I, I'm a little confused to why they're throwing Sergio Pettis this deep into that pool so soon. Uh, I like Rob Font here. I think his striking is better. I think he's faster. He's going to be bigger, stronger. Uh, I don't think Sergio's able to take him down as Rob showed in his takedown defense has gotten that much better in the last fight. I, I think this is a really bad fight matchup-wise for Pettis to jump back up in a weight class. I like Rob Font here. Yeah, it is interesting, Kenny, that they are throwing him right to the wolves. Sergio Pettis went 3-1 and one as a bantamweight in the UFC before the introduction of the flyweight division. Dropped down, went 5-3, and three, so eight wins in the UFC. Font coming off that unanimous decision, lost to Rafael Asuncao this summer, but he is tried and tested in that bantamweight division. As such, he's the favorite this weekend. Kenny, what do you think? Yeah, this is a tough one uh, and a very tough matchup for Sergio Pettis. Uh, I respect the fact that he took this fight uh, against Rob Font. But uh, for Sergio, I don't know, man. I think that he's a very technical fighter. I like the way that he's blending everything together here. But I just think Rob Font is going to be a little bit too big. I think Font can absolutely contend with the technical striking of Sergio Pettis. In fact, I think he hits much harder than Sergio. Um, and I don't think Sergio is going to be able to really put him on his back consistently. Um, if he does, he's going to need room in the center of the octagon to hit those shots. And I think Pettis is probably more technical than Font on the ground. I just don't think we're going to see it go there very often. Um, I, I got to agree with Ian once again. Uh, as much as I need, would love to have those points, uh, I, I'm going to go with Font as well. And I think in the future, too, you'll see Sergio Pettis, in terms of the body composition, really build himself into a bona fide Bantamweight, right? He just competed at flyweight not all that long yeah. ago, a loss to Juicier Formiga. So I think this will be a good division for him, uh, but particularly so three or four years down the line. All right, co-main event. Dan Hooker's coming on strong, folks. Four straight finishes have not only positioned him for the biggest fight of his career against Edson Barboza this weekend, uh, but he's the favorite to get the job done here. Minus 130. Barboza lost to Kevin Lee in what was the main event in Atlantic City back in April. Barboza, even money at least right now, Ian. What do you think about the co-main in Milwaukee? Man, you guys are really putting the pressure on me. Ken Paul doesn't even have to go first one time, huh? All right. I know. <laughs> Fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm a big fan of yours, bro. That's the ultimate fighter, so we're cool. I'll go Thank first you, anytime. Thank it's you. all good. Um, yeah, so this one actually I find to be really, really interesting. I know they're trying to push uh, Dan Hooker really far up there because of the whole knockout thing. I just want people to kind of keep an eye out here. He's only had one submission in his last four fights, and it was against a guy who's literally almost a white belt in jiu-jitsu. And I don't even mean to be rude. It's just the guy was another kickboxer. Um, the fight against Gilbert Burns was insane because he got dropped and then he came back and he dropped him and won. That I don't think it's going to be the case here. I think he's going against a guy in Barbosa who has faced way tougher competition, um, way better wrestlers, I think way better strikers, wild and insane. I think his technicality and the leg kicks are going to do it here. I'm going to go with Barbosa. I think this is a weird matchup for Hooker this early on. I really think that... Uh, uh, you know, I think Barbosa's stand-up, uh, his takedown defense is going to be good enough to keep this up. I don't think he's going to get submitted by Mr. Hooker. However, I kind of think Barbosa's going to win this fight by decision. Interesting take, and I think a lot of people are going to see Edson Barbosa in that plus-money range and potentially fire this weekend. And you gave me a good idea. From now on, we're making Ken Flo pick the co-main event first because you're right. To, that, is a, that is a huge advantage for Team Florian to never have to fucking lead on any of these selections. Uh, Kenny, that being said, 
uh, Barboza Hooker, we need we need a pick. Kid. And Ian, I don't know if I love you or I hate you because I do I I do love this breakdown. Uh, but I gotta agree with you as well, man. Damn it! Listen, Barbosa is going against <laughs> another striker here. I don't I don't think Hooker has the kind of takedowns like a Habib Nurmagomedov or a Kevin Lee who's really gonna threaten him on the ground. I think Hooker's better on the ground, but I just don't think he's gonna be able to get it there uh, against Barbosa who. Against another striker, man, I think Barbosa is an absolute beast. I think he's going to have the big-time speed advantage, and I do agree with Ian that he better use uh, those leg kicks uh, here against Hooker to slow him down. Um, I, I think Hooker is an improving fighter. I think his length uh, and his intelligence makes him a tough out against anyone. While Hooker can win this fight, I, I just think Barbosa uh, is just a little bit cleaner and a little bit more dangerous with his striker. I think Barbosa's chin uh, can be questionable at times. So that's the only question mark for, for me um, where I would potentially go the other way. But I just think Barbosa is a better striker, and I got to go with that, um, with what we've seen. I think Barbosa wins this. He might even get a stoppage due to leg kicks. Well, you'll know when you wake up on Friday and Barbosa is minus 120 that one Ian Parker in Parkland, Florida will have fired 10 grand on Barbosa <laughs> and thus moved the line. All right, main event. Our final selection of the day, Kevin Lee, minus 320, Ally Aquinta coming back at plus 240. We'll need the round and the method of victory here, Ian, if you don't mind, because this is the main event. Who do you like in the rematch in Milwaukee? All right, this, this one is very, very tough for me. Um, as I'm a Sarah Longo guy, I'm friends with Al. I've known him for a long time. Um, I'm going to give you a little heads up on a story that I want to tell real quick since uh, Kenny's making me go first again. Um, so... <laughs> About seven years ago, training for my own amateur fight, I'm sitting next to P. Drago Cell and Luke Kumo before he went off the deep end. And George Sotoropoulos is in the cage training, and in brings a guy from Long Island Militech, ended up being Ally Akinta. These guys took each other's heads off for two rounds. I looked at Ray and I said, he's the real deal, huh? He goes, you want to go in with him next? I said, no. <laughs> After that. After that, Al goes on the Ultimate Fighter and does what he, oh, wow. you know, beats Miles Jury and then goes on against Michael Kazea where he loses. But yeah, Al's a tough guy, man. He just, unfortunately, a lot of injuries, a lot of handbrakes. Um, don't buy into the whole real estate thing, you know. Although he does do that and it's hilarious. Um, he just got a lot of injuries, a lot of bad luck, a lot of the contractual stuff. And this is really tough. Kevin Lee's another guy who just evolved tremendously um, since a fight like that. I mean, you saw his domination over Barbosa minus that uh, head kick that kind of made him do the chicken dance a little bit. So this, one, this one's really tough. Um, oh, man, who do I want to win? Obviously, I want Al to win. Um, but based on the more consistent victories, the higher level of competition, now don't get me wrong, Al still went all five rounds against Habib. Super impressive. Uh, this one's a rough one, man. I want Al to win. I think Kevin wins by decision. All right, Kevin Lee, by decision. And you can certainly text me this weekend if there's a, a weight miss situation or you see something at the weigh-in. You always reserve the right to text me and change your pick. But, uh, hey, great little, stuff, little, man. Little one little of the staff infection on the side, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, uh, great stuff, man. Really, really good job, and I appreciate you hopping on. And next time I won't, I won't have you have to pick a Sarah Longo fight. So we will have you back, buddy. Thanks for the time. My, I appreciate it, guys. A lot of fun. Ian Parker, bring it. Yes. Former manager of Chris Weidman. Can't wait to tell Ray Longo that Ian Parker was on the program today making picks against Ken Flo. All right. So we still need a selection here from you. A little backdrop for you. Kevin Lee made his UFC debut February 1st, 
2014 at UFC 169, and it came against Ally Quinta. That night, he dropped a unanimous decision. He then went on to win nine UFC fights, set up an interim title fight against Tony Ferguson, submitted that night. It was last October, but responded right back with that main event win over Edson Barboza. Had to fight through adversity in that fight. Again, another win that was a feather in his cap. Fairly significant favorite here, Kenny, at minus 320 for the rematch against Iaquinta. What do you think happens this weekend? Um, this is a tough one uh, as well. I think Iaquinta having that win over Kevin Lee, uh, I think is, you know, of course, going to make Ali Iaquinta that much more confident, not that he has a problem in that department. Um, and I think there was a lot of good signs that we saw in the Habib Nurmagomedov uh, fight with his ability to stop a lot of those takedowns, his ability to escape the, those tough positions. I just think that Kevin Lee is a little bit cleaner uh, with his ability to take advantage of positions, um, you know, even better than Habib Nurmagomedov. Does he have the control and does he have the ground and pound of a Habib Nurmagomedov? Uh, no. Is, are his takedowns as dominant? I'm not so sure. But Kevin Lee can get it done in the takedown department. He does have excellent pressure. I think his finishing ability, uh, submission-wise, is better than Habib Nurmagomedov. And I think with Ally Quinta, with his knee injury, I don't know if he still retains that same kind of power and that same kind of ability to plant his feet on the canvas of the octagon floor to get that knockout that he could have got prior to that knee injury. Mm. I, I just don't know. He Something seemed a little off to me against the Habib Nurmagomedov fight. I don't know if it was because he was so ready for that takedown and he was maybe perhaps too low uh, as far as his level uh, against Habib where he wasn't able to generate that much power, but I just think something's off with his ability to kind of get that same knockout shot that he had uh, coming off the Ultimate Fighter. So um, I, I don't love this matchup for him. I have a lot of respect for Iaquinta and the kind of energy that he brings in the octagon, but I think uh, this is Kevin Lee's fight to lose. I, I think he gets the win in and around uh, round three by submission. By submission for Kevin Lee. All right, so we will see how it goes between Ian Parker and Ken Flo this weekend as Team Anik tries to hang on for dear life. See, my whole plan, I was going to do part of the Power Hour with you anyway and then just stop <laughs> when I when I can't stop anymore, you know? So I was thinking, too, i got to be out there for Anaheim, UFC 233. Yes. We might be able to even do this thing in person. That would be uh, fun. But, man, I can't believe how things have tightened up. All right, excited for it this weekend. It is the final Fox UFC fight night, and I'm excited to see a lot of the people that you and I have worked with over the last seven years one final time this weekend. we got to get out of here. Thank you to our guests, Ray Longo, Jordan Breen, Ian Park, you, Parker. Thanks to everybody in studio, Ben Wasork and the crew. Next week, full recap of what will be, yes, the final Fox UFC fight night. Also, we will get you Ken Flo's UFC 232 pick. So that will be sometime around Monday, December 24th, Christmas Eve. I'm not sure if that will be a, a live episode that day or exactly how it will play out, but rest assured, no holiday respite for Ken Flo. Ton of picks for UFC 232 coming up probably late next week or early on Christmas Eve. With that, for Ken Flo, I'm John Anik. Thank you all for listening. May RockyBJJ.com. We will talk to you next week. Until then, you'll later. The John Anik and Kenny Florian Podcast. 
Sports betting is sweeping across the country faster than the coronavirus, and wagering week is your antidote. I'm Tom Barton, and I'm a veteran sports analyst and respected sports handicapper who will help build ESPN's brand. I've been recognized and awarded by Pro Football Weekly and Gaming Today magazine as the honest handicapper. Let the other guys give you the same old boring sports talk with the same tired storylines. We'll give it to you straight here every Friday on Wagering Week. Don't gamble with other podcasts. Let Sports Garden Network's Wagering Week help your bottom line. I'm Royal Oaks. Next time on Too Many Lawyers, we take on a couple of villains to sort out whether bad stuff is also illegal stuff. George Santos won a seat in Congress by lying to voters, but is that a crime? And Kanye West made it clear he hates Jews. In England, he'd go to jail for that. Here in America, did he commit a hate crime? Listen to Too Many Lawyers on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.